0: My friends, and welcome to Love-Hate Relationship, an opinionated podcast for opinionated people. I'm Andy Boel.
1: And I'm Alex Ruiz, and as ever, we are here to brighten your day, anger your soul, and tell you how to live your lives in, your, in that order. And Andy, I don't think I had anything for the douchebag buffer. Did you have anything?
0: Oh, you know, I always try to come up with holding on to a, a, a random smattering of a thought and... Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, you actually just sent me a a very nice gift uh, recently. <laughs> I have been uh... I have been learning to cook since pretty much since the pandemic. I mean, maybe maybe it's been a little bit longer than a year, but you know, we got HelloFresh and. Uh there was never any cooking really go uh growing up in my household. So I've been learning to cook. I've my my wife got a cast iron. I got a wok. I've been using the wok, but I didn't have an apron until you, you sweet peach of a man, uh got me a Star Trek apron, which I immediately love.
1: <laughs> well, I saw it as I was just vaguely scrolling online and I I had to say I thought of you immediately I I know you are learning to cook and I am very proud of you I think aprons are great I have one my own self that I love and I was just like I hope this fits him because I'm ascending it
0: Okay. This is good. I can work with this. Cause I I was kind of going out on a limb with this uh, stream of consciousness thing, but it sounds like you're going to have an answer to this question. Do you have any strong opinions on apron culture? And what I mean by that is it seems like it's become a thing where you don't just get a regular apron you need an apron that makes a statement. You need an apron that says something about you. At least all of the barbecue dads I've ever seen have something like that.
1: Andrew, my apron is a plain white apron of that my lovely wife is. that my lovely wife took a marker and wrote my name real pretty on the top. Aww. That is that is my apron and to be very clear like she has a couple of aprons and they're all very pretty they're kind of flowery and like nice designs very pleasant mine is plain white with my name written across it in permanent marker and that is it apron culture is not a thing that i understand <laughs> Helmst ever, I have seen enough people have enough collections of enough ridiculous things that... Okay, I'm, I'm going to tell you this story. Because it's not about aprons, but it's about collecting weird a weird thing that's just, like, weirdly your identity. Okay. I had a co-worker um, last year uh, who has since uh, left... I, I remember she was asking me uh, for ideas for like um, I think it was cr- uh, birthday or Christmas gifts for her husband, and I was like, okay, well, what's what's he into? Like, you know, what what kind of things? And she's like, um, and and, and I was I was talking very specifically because I had recently had a birthday. Yes, okay, I think this was for the, his birthday. I had recently had a birthday, and this was the birthday where. Um, Stephanie, very sweetly, got me a guitar kit. So I could build a guitar kit. She painted it. I have my own custom guitar out of this. And I was telling her about that, and and she's like, that's so great, and I know you play guitar, and that seems like a really sweet, wonderful gift. Uh, I want to do something like that. And I'm like, okay, so what's your husband into? And she goes, well, this past year, he's gotten really into colognes. And I was like, interesting. Tell me everything. (laughs) And apparently, like, this dude, who is in his, like, late 30s, early 40s, fell down, like, a YouTube rabbit hole of fancy colognes and now has this collection that he has spent money on. Like, four digits of money on these bottles of just like fancy ass colognes. And she, she was like, and I was like, can you maybe get him a cologne? And she goes, here's the problem. He buys himself all of the like affordable colognes. And the ones that he's like talked about that I'd maybe get him are the ones that are like $400 for two uh, ounces.
0: Uh-huh. The ones and I'm sitting here real going, whale.
1: Oh God. And, and I, and I hear that. And I'm just like, The most expensive guitar I have was $400 brand new, and I only bought that guitar because I sold a guitar for about the same amount. I basically paid sales tax on on my most expensive guitar. I cannot conceive of spending that much money on a couple of ounces of a cologne. Howst ever, for people who collect shit, I get it. I have 13 instruments. This dude has a shelf of expensive colognes. I'm sure there is a person out there who has weird collection of fancy aprons.
0: Yeah, it must be. And, and so, okay, so moving away from aprons, the last thing I'll say about that is I was just about to be like, at least aprons aren't all that expensive, but maybe this person collects like famous aprons like maybe there's somewhere out there who like has the original apron julia styles had on her first cooking show and like that's like the thing i 100 believe that person exists in your I mean... in, in your um bafflement of the cologne collector which i get is it because it's a consumable And the idea of spending such an exorbitant amount of money on something that, by its nature and design and purpose, is meant to be used. You know, I think that might be part of it.
1: Um, I think of people who collect, like, fancy wines. And, you know, once you open a bottle of wine, you know, it's got a shelf life. If it's a white... It's a week or two Uh, or if it's a white, it's like a week. If it's a red, it's like two weeks and then it's just it's just gone to shit. So as far as I know, I'm like, I don't know if this dude wore the colognes or if he just like collected them or if he wore them, he'd wear them like very occasionally or something.
0: I don't know. That's the way for me where it only makes sense if it's like I need to smell the four hundred dollar bottle of cologne so I can like appreciate it and then i'll wear it like maybe once every five years
1: i mean sure like here's the thing i love i love whiskeys i'm a big fan of whiskeys um i have absolutely like been gifted or even on a very rare occasion treated myself to an expensive bottle of whiskey um we're talking something in like the 50 60 dollar range and that's great. That's a wonderful treat. It's a great thing. But, like, the whiskeys that are on my bar cart right now are, like, $20 and $30 bottles. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, like, a connoisseur. I just like my shit. You know, I think you're on something with the consumables thing. I don't feel right spending a whole lot of money on the regular to have something expensive that's just kind of sitting around. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of people who, like, buy expensive or rare books and never read them. <laughs> they just have them, like, collected somewhere. Like, sure. I I have a few first editions of books, like, that I just, honestly, that I stumbled across. Uh, or, again, they were gifted to me. And I try and take care of them. I do. Like, I I put them, you know, I shelve them very neatly. I, I don't expose them to much. You know, I, I'm in an apartment where, you know, it's temperature controlled and everything. But I'm not going to, like, fucking vacuum seal these books. And I think that people who do, people who have these, like, absolutely pristine, like, these books must never be touched, they will be destroyed if they're exposed to light or the wrong kind of air. Like, fuck that. What is the point of that? Like, it's a book. It's meant to be read, Um, I'm in the guitar world. There are people who will absolutely talk about buying guitars as quote unquote wall pieces. Just like, this is pretty and I want to put it up on a wall. (laughs) Uh That makes sense to me if it's like, like, I think it would be cool to own like a super old guitar that is just unplayable. Yeah. Like the shit has been like, put through hell, the action's ridiculous, the neck is bent, but it's got some history and it looks cool, that can be a wall piece. If I, like, came across it and got a deal on it and I think thought it looked good in a room, I would totally do that. That said, I would only do that if I got an incredible deal on it. Like, you know, I found it in a garage sale and someone's like, yeah, it's 20 bucks. And it's like, it's a hundred-year-old guitar. Yeah, it's unplayable, but it looks great. I would much I would spend several times that 20 bucks. Like I would spend 200 plus bucks on a guitar I could actually play and pick up and kick around and use every day. Again, most of my guitars are fairly inexpensive, but I use them and I use them all. The one that I sold was the was the 12-string that um was a little warped and damaged from lack of care because I bought it when I was 18 and I didn't know how to take care of my guitars yet. And I sold it to someone who I knew was going to play it, and then I bought a guitar that is now my number one guitar. Like, I want to use my shit if I'm going to spend that much money on it. So if you're gonna have a collection of aprons, use the fuckers, even if they're expensive.
0: Yeah. I I I can understand that, man. You know, I I'm sitting here trying to think. I collect board games and I play the board games. And I collect comic books and I read the comic books. So, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. we're on the same page, which should come as no surprise. Yeah, no. And I mean, and,
1: and the nice thing is, okay, you collect comic books, you collect board games and you play them all and you read them all. You also cook. You have hobbies, Andy. You you can be an interesting person. If somebody's hobby is collecting cologne, no disrespect to my ex-co-worker's husband, that's a weird hobby, um, like, you do you, bro, but, like, I don't know. I think everyone should have hobbies. I think it's important to have interests and more power to you if they're cool or interesting. But there are certain things where I'm just like, that's weird, and you're a strange person.
0: Well, if you are a cologne guy, it'll probably lead to some other people having some interesting stories about you. And, you know, sometimes that's all you can do. Welcome to Love Hate Relationship. Thank you for bearing with us as we uh, just go complete stream of consciousness on you. The things that we (laughs) talk about on the show that are planned is every episode, one of us talks about something we love, the other then talks about something we hate, and we take yours and the internet's relationship questions and provide our perfectly unqualified advice. And I've got the love this week. That's right. And... Honestly, this love came to me, and I was kind of surprised about how long it's taken. It's taken 64 episodes. (laughs) Alex, what is your first memory of the Muppets?
1: So, um, that is a really tricky question for me to answer. And the explicit reason that's tricky for me to answer is because... I'm not sure I can remember a time where I didn't know about The Muppets. Sure. Granted, I didn't watch The Muppets as a kid or as a very tiny child, uh, I should say. Um, I think I watched Sesame Street. I I think I've even mentioned on the show I had, like, some Sesame Street, like, just stuff, um, which may or may not have been gifted to me. I don't actually remember watching Sesame Street as a child, but, like, I had a Burt and Ernie tape, tape and, like little handheld tape player um, that I loved when I was a small child. So who's to say really on that front. Um, But as far as the Muppets Muppets are concerned, I think uh, I I always feel like I've known, I've known who Kermit and Miss Piggy are. Um, I have, even if I didn't know their names, I knew the visual cues for like Gonzo and Fozzie Bear and the Swedish chef. And Statler and Waldorf. Like, even if I didn't know their names. My earliest memories actually watching it was... Um, I used to... My, my my best friend, Nick. His parents, I'm pretty sure, owned a bunch of, like, VHS tapes of the old Muppets show. Mm-hmm. And his dad was a huge Muppets fan. And I I have these memories somewhere, like, post-age 10 but probably pre-high school, um, us watching some old Muppets VHSs. And there were random-ass episodes. I don't remember who half the guests were, Um, but uh, I do remember, like, sitting in his living room and watching, like, fucking Swedish Chef and just, like, doing the bork, bork, bork stuff.
0: I love that. That's a wonderful answer. And thank you. And I will just say because Nick's dad is somebody I work with on a fairly regular basis and is a a delightful human being. It it makes no surprise to me that he is also a huge fan of the Muppet show. (laughs) Yeah, I am very much in the same camp as you where just like, I grew up knowing who the Muppets were. From watching Sesame Street. Uh, my cousin had a series of Muppet Babies picture books that I would read all the time. I would grow up watching the movies. It was just always a cultural touchstone. I love the Muppets. Inspirational, celebrational,
1: muppetational.
0: But in case you don't know what we're talking about, dear listener, the Muppets are a cultural phenomenon that has encompassed TV shows, movies, um, all, all manner of pop media. And they were originally created by uh, the legendary puppeteer Jim Henson, who is one of the like one of the top five human beings to ever walk this earth um Aww. jim henson is right up there with mr rogers like i, I will die on that hill um, okay not mad about it sure um originally created in 1955 for the sam and friends talk show um the Muppets soon began appearing on um uh the entire late night circuit Saturday Night Live as well as beginning on Sesame Street in its debut season of 1969 and achieved a celebrity status as well as international recognition through The Muppet Show which ran from 1976 to 1981 and received four primetime Emmys as well as 21 nominations. Um, and beyond mm-hmm. that, the Muppets have been in a series of seven TV shows, eight movies, and like, I always want to give a primer, especially because uh, younger listeners legitimately might not know who the Muppets are. But at the same time, I would argue that it would be really hard to find somebody under the age of 18 who doesn't know Kermit the Frog, Miss Piggy, Fozzie, Gonzo. They are touchstones of pop media.
1: I think I would definitely agree with that. I I I think I've said this before or or if I haven't um I think this is a good point to kind of articulate. My litmus test for like how is this in the culture? Uh there's there's um there's an old test around uh hip hop goat debates mm-hmm. which is uh, it's called the grandma test. Does your grandma know about X. It's usually, it usually comes up in like hip hop, um, best rapper categories. Like, does your grandma know who Jay Z is? Cause your grandma definitely doesn't know who Tech Nine is. Like, <laughs> things like that. Uh-huh. Um, my litmus test is always going to be my parents, um, who I love dearly, but they're from another country. They're, you know, they were both born in the, you know, early to mid 50s. Um, you know they're they're not necessarily plugged into everyday pop culture. Neither of them are on Twitter. My mother has Facebook. My father does not. Like so, when I think about like what are the things my parents know exists, um, I think my parents know who the Muppets are. So that's I feel like they meet my harshest test. Of just criteria. Like maybe they can't name every Muppet. I, I guarantee you if I say Gonzo, um, my mom's probably going to be like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> um, love you, mom. I um, haven't read up
0: on much Hunter S. Thompson. <laughs> oh, Jesus.
1: Um, but if I showed her a picture of Gonzo, a picture of Kermit or Miss Piggy, I'm pretty sure she'd be like, oh, yes, I have seen that. I have seen that on, you know, The Tonight Show. I've seen that on... On commercials for things, I've saw a preview for a movie with that. I've flipped the channels and seen that that there was a movie playing with those characters. Like it, it, it's familiar to them in some way, even if just by osmosis.
0: Right, and so like, I I really want to talk about it for for people our age and younger. Um, I think it it especially applies. It cannot be overstated. How big the Muppets were. Like, this wasn't just a kid show, although it had direct appeal to kids. You know, so, 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 for instance, let's look at The Muppet Show, which, by all intents and purposes, is really where it starts. And that started in 1976, ran for five years. The whole mm-hmm. deal with The Muppet Show was that it was a bona fide variety comedy show. And just like Saturday Night Live, for instance, it would have every episode would have a contemporary celebrity guest who was like a mm-hmm. real actual get. It's the Muppet Show with our very special guest star, Crystal Gale.
1: Yeah. yeah. And some of them you look back on and you're a little, you're, it's still a little like Alice Cooper was on the muppet show.
0: Yeah, he was.
1: And was on a great <laughs> episode of the muppet show.
0: I mean, yeah, Alice Cooper, Vincent Price, Paul Williams, the I did not know cuz I was a little kid that Paul Williams was the voice of the penguin. So like I had oh. I had no um no concept of that. It was just oh, that's the guy who voiced the penguin. The first Paul Williams memory I have is um when i got season one of the muppet show he is a guest on there and he sings just an old fashioned love song which i had never heard and like i i wore the dvd out playing that song over and over again because it was just such a fun happy like bop i love that that's so precious and i didn't know this until uh researching this alex did you know paul williams wrote rainbow connection i Uh, didn't
1: what i did not know that
0: paul williams wrote maybe the greatest like heartwarming song of all time uh, hmm. Rainbow Connection, obviously from the Muppet movie. Why are there so many songs about rainbows and what's on the other side? But we're not, okay. we're not talking about Paul Williams. We're talking about the Muppet show. No.
1: That said, um I, I'm actually interested here because um you, you know we keep you you keep bringing up the like this point about ages. And something very interesting to me is um, I never watched the Muppet TV show on TV. You know, I I had the benefit of having a connection to a person who had some VHS tapes. Mm. And and to be clear, I I don't remember those VHS tapes well enough to remember if they were... I don't think they were full episodes. I think they were those, like compilation um videotapes where it's like the best of the muppet show um tape 1 the best of the muppet show tape 2 and it was just like a smattering from across the seasons of their best their best skits sure um or their best bits or their best songs um I- i'm pretty sure that was the arrangement we had there um so there is uh, you know i'm 31 And I don't remember ever watching full-on episodes of The Muppet Show, the original Muppet Show, which I think is now available on HBO Max. But for me, other than those compilations, I am of a camp, and I think you are of the same camp where a lot of our exposure outside of what we were lucky enough to have exposure to um, via DVDs or VHSs, is The Muppet Movies. And I'm thinking very specifically of Muppet Christmas Carol, Muppet Treasure Island, and the first Muppet movie. Am I wrong in there?
0: So, have you ever heard of a show called Muppets Tonight?
1: Um, I can't say that I have.
0: Muppets Tonight was a uh, a sort of reboot to the Muppet show and it prepared it premiered in 1996 and it ended in 1998 but it had reruns on Disney you know uh, for a few years beyond that and Muppets tonight is one of the very first shows I can recall watching by myself As a little kid in the basement on cable, I knew Channel 15 was Disney. And I knew if I put it on at night, there was a coin flip chance that Muppets Tonight was playing. And so I actually do have a memory of watching like these organic shows. And I don't think Muppets Tonight is very much uh, remembered as belovedly as The Muppet Show, but it was just as like it was the same exact style of humor. It was the same exact concept. It had guests like Michelle Pfeiffer and Billy Crystal and Sandra Bullock and Whoopi Goldberg. It was it was just as good and i loved muppets tonight and i wanted to just take a second to talk about it before agreeing with you beyond seeing that i absolutely 100% got all of my muppets exposure from the muppet films
1: yeah i i know so many people in our age range um probably plus or minus 10 years who have never seen a single episode of the original Muppets TV show, and I definitely know haven't seen Muppets tonight. Probably haven't even seen Muppet Babies, sure. which I know was a thing for a minute. Um, I was a little too old for it when it came out, but I do remember like commercials for it and things like that. But all of us, whether it's you know our t te- our 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 lit teacher put it on our English teacher put it on when they were hungover um <laughs> one day. Um you got your Muppet Treasure Island, or it's just you watch Muppet Christmas Carol on, you know, T B S or T N T or CBS or, or or ABC or whomever uh around Christmas time. I feel like, like ABC or you just,
0: because that was all like they were always the a Disney, Disney one. subsidiary, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, or even, you know, they're I feel like those are movies that people just have. Like, yeah, it's normal. Like that is a movie. Those are movies that I don't think it's unusual for just you buy. Someone has a kid, and just someone there. You know, an aunt, a cousin. Um, you know, uh, your best friend's parents will just like, give it to you as a Christmas present. Like, oh, it's, it's your, it's Christmas. Um, here, have this movie. It's a movie I really liked. I think all kids should have it. Like it's one of it. it, it, Those movies are some of those that are just, I feel pretty universal for, uh, for kids, at least in the U S maybe even just in the English speaking world. Cause I've heard people who grew up in like Australia talking about having a similar experience of the Muppets.
0: I think so. I, I, I really do. And you know, I, I was, a, I'm a few years younger than you. I was right in that like perfect. Oh, it's Saturday morning. Let's watch Muppet babies kind of age range. And it's such a like, it's such a family friendly property. And, you know, that often gets misconstrued for, like, PG and Kid. But this is what I was trying to talk about with The Muppet Show. It had this appeal because the entire family could watch and enjoy it. And the same goes for the movies. It, it, it was funny for adults in a clean enough way where, especially if you grew up in a, uh, you know, conservative or religious household, it was still something that, like, it was okay to show your kids in retrospect, that's actually kind of funny because there's a lot of times where the Muppets will blow themselves up or one giant Muppet will eat a smaller Muppet and like swallow it and make a, a whole to do out of eating it. So, you know, m- like most things from our childhood, there is some scary or not scary, but there is some stuff that it's like, our parents are cool with this. Yeah, you know, you, you just have to not look at it too closely. Right, Exactly. Um, I've told you this just in conversation, I forget how it came up, Muppet Treasure Island is my favorite depiction of the Treasure Island story, and it's my second favorite Tim Curry movie. <laughs> the first being Rocky Horror? The first being Rocky Horror. That's
1: fair. My my second favorite's Clue, but, you know, Treasure Island's probably top five, so...
0: You tore a page from the holy scriptures to make a pirate's death sentence. Uh, Here. Oh, the red hot gates of hell are creeping open. He just, you can tell he doesn't give a damn about anything going on in that film and is just there for a good time. And it is so, so good. Treasure Island is one of my favorite, like... I don't even know what the hell you would classify it as.
1: I mean it's an adaptation. Granted, right. a a parodic uh adaptation, definitely. They 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 take the piss out of a lot of it and they change uh a good deal of the story where it is um let's just say a little less children friendly. Yeah, you know. Yeah, like you do.
0: Um those those turn of the century um legacy literary tales and my favorite is the one in which um there is a (laughs) problematic uh tribe of pigs who act very much like um pacific islander stereotypes uh
1: yeah, what are you gonna to do? Well. <laughs>
0: yeah. So all this to say, like the Muppets as a thing had a really amazing, like, twenty-five-ish year run, where it wouldn't be weird for Kermit the Frog to give an Oscar. You know what I'm nope. saying? Yeah. Like it wouldn't be.
1: I I remember it. I remember watching. I don't remember if it was the Oscars but I remember seeing like some award show where Kermit the Frog was a presenter with some live action person.
0: Exactly. And and so they they were a cultural phenomenon and then uh around 2000 things just kind of eased off and took a break. And the only time you saw anything of the Muppets, it was because you happened to be at MGM studios in Orlando and you were going on the Muppet ride, um, Mm -hmm. to the point where, and I don't remember how we've talked about this, but the reboot, the soft reboot of the Muppet movie, the, the, um, Jason, Jason Siegel, Jason Siegel, Amy Adams, starring Muppet movie made a giant plot point joke about how nobody actually like cared that much about the Muppets as a cultural thing anymore. And they were going to sure. like lose their tenement building or whatever the hell it was. And, me- and <laughs> needed studio. to get people to ki- Yeah, their studio. That's right. <laughs> And needed to get people to care again. And, and people cared for like a second with the Muppet movie. I, I think it's a phenomenal um, and worthy continuation of the series. And uh, the Muppet or a Man song uh, lives in my head rent-free.
1: I I will never forget. That was one of the few times um, that I was watching the Oscars. And I remember that Song won an Oscar, and it was the dude from Fly to the Concords who is not, um,
0: not Jerome? Jermaine, not Jermaine Clement, not Jermaine, right?
1: Not Jermaine Clement. The other one, he was the one who wrote it, so he's the one who got the Oscar. And I remember he was the only one nominated in the category.
0: <laughs> eh, I get it.
1: And I was like, all right, cool, get get on with your bad self.
0: <laughs> um, so yeah, people people cared about the Muppets again for. A minute, and in in all fairness, um, things have still kind of declined. You know, the the movie we're talking about is somehow a decade old already, and I feel old because of that fact. Um, <laughs> but yeah, in in the new age, there have been a couple of Muppet shows, and they've done varyingly well. Um, the most recent one, they tried to make a real big deal on ABC, and it was supposed to be The Office only Muppets. And that caught a lot of like, eh, do we need this controversy? Um, Cause mm. I, I think the big thing was Chelsea Peretti was in a relationship with Fozzie bear. <laughs> <And so laughs> they were making like, is it bestiality or what is it? Jokes. Um, All right. And since then uh, there's been a, uh, another Muppet movie, Muppets most wanted, which I saw and walked out of the theater going like, it's just short of fine. Um, And a current, uh, currently there is a reboot of the Muppet Babies. And then there is also a web show that premieres um, like on ABC.com or something called Muppets now, which is only a year old admittedly, but that's more time than uh, the other show got, so maybe the Muppets will be able to live in Muppets now. I don't know.
1: Um, you know what? It's funny because I feel I feel the best thing I can compare the Muppets to, culturally speaking, um, ironically enough, given that um, some of the cast members were guests on the original Muppets show, is Star Wars sure there 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 was a time when it was everything it was culture and then there's a period where it petered off it has always been with us to some degree or other um you know with star wars you had the original trilogy then you had a period of time where there was merchandising there were books there were comics there was the expanded universe there were it, it 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 there weren't movies coming out there weren't TV shows coming out but there was a lot going on there just based on the fact that those movies had become such a part of the culture um, then you get to the prequels and you get more movies and it's just more embedded in the culture then a break then the new trilogy and the new movies and the disney buying and all of that and has Has Star Wars ever been as big in culture as it was in the late 70s and early 80s? I don't think so. But it's always been there. And people will argue about its quality. Um, No one is going to pretend that the new stuff is... That any of the stuff that has followed the original... Um, first couple of movies, is quite up to that same caliber. Some will argue it gets close, but it's always embedded in the fabric of the culture. And there's always new shit coming out, especially now that we are farming nostalgia in the way that we are. So I feel like that's probably a decent lens to kind of look at it through.
0: Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. It's just, it's become embedded in the consciousness in a way where even like muppets are being mined for nostalgia as well for for as much of a, as much as the sponge can be squeezed they're still coming out with projects and beyond that even if they stopped like we said it at the top, like just about anybody under the age or over the age of 18 and probably a lot under the age of 18 are going to be able to recognize Kermit the frog at a glance. And that is a cultural staying power that honestly, not a lot of things get. Uh, I want to wrap this up just by speaking a little more in depth about like, I think part of the reasoning behind this is because of just how brilliant Jim Henson was and like the Henson company as a thing has always been a pioneer of visual effects and puppetry and like making real tangible wondrous things you know Henson worked on the Star Wars movies Henson um, is the reason we have Sesame Street because he created Burton Ernie and um, and the farther back you go like the 70s cgi isn't a thing special effects are barely a thing and here you have this man who redefines what puppetry is and and figures out ways to like he he, the man built um, trenches in the floor of the set so that him and the other actors could like be standing fully up and then hold their hand their hold their arms above their heads and, and hold the Burton and Ernie puppets and stuff and work with them that way. The Jim Henson was just such a brilliant, phenomenal, groundbreaking, visionary entertainer. Who was able to have this family appeal and be able to create these amazing creative things that no one else was able to put on, put in people's minds. And so I, I think he, I truly think he is one of the like greatest human beings to ever live. And he gave me one of my favorite show movie media properties that now that you've mentioned it's on HBO plus, I for sure as shit, I'm going to go rewatch a bunch of the old Muppets episodes on there.
1: I love that you zero in on Henson's um, innovations there. I think the biggest thing for me, um, and this is just to, you know, piggyback on your last point, is at the end of the day, you you know, you can innovate um, technologically. You can innovate uh, in terms of story. You can do really creative, interesting things. You can work with limitations. I think the brilliance of Henson, a lot gets said about Henson's puppeteering, and, and, you know, rightly so in that field. But I don't think the reason the Muppets work is because of the puppeteering. I think the reason the Muppets work is because of the characters. Yeah,
0: I agree with that. I think it's
1: because, yeah, I think that there's something about um, not just the characters, but how they do interact with each other. There is something about, you know, Kermit is this ultimate, like,
0: straight man. Straight man,
1: yes. Um, You know, he has a lot of the same appeal that we want to give to so many. Like, he has the same appeal that people want to give to Steve Rogers' Captain America right now. You know, he's a Boy (laughs) Scout. He always wants to do the right thing. He's a little long-suffering. It helps that he has a very dry sense of humor. And then he's placed against people like Piggy like Gonzo who are these larger-than-life caricatures of of what they are and there's something to latch on to there you know there's something about a Miss Piggy especially when performed with with the voice talents of Frank Oz where you just kind of go oh there's there's something interesting there you want to watch how that character interacts with the world. You want to see Fozzie simultaneously bomb and succeed. Yeah. When he does his stand-up. You want Gonzo to get the chicken, but at the same time, he's never gonna get the chicken the way he truly wants. You know, you you wanna you wanna hear everything that comes out of Statler and Waldorf's mouths. Statler and Waldorf are some of like, that's my collectively, they are my favorite Muppet just because. There's, there's something about, like, that, are you prepared for the end of the world? Sure, it can't be worse than this show. Like, that That speaks to me as a human being. <laughs> of
0: course it does.
1: And 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 character design is such the hardest thing to do, because you're essentially creating beings that people can either, that some people will look up to and some people will see themselves in. And the fact that they're pronounced enough, complex enough, interesting enough to do that is the hardest thing to do. And he made an entire cast of that with his hands, with his design aesthetics. And that is miraculous if you can do it once. And he did it so much.
0: And nobody has ever tried to redesign the Muppets.
1: No, it's like, you know what? It's like trying to reharmonize a Stevie Wonder song. It's already the best version of what it can ever be. So why bother?
0: Well, thank you for that perspective. That that really, uh, I, I I really enjoy that. And I I love when you help me make my point.
1: You are welcome, dear boy. Shall we move on to some hatred?
0: <laughs> I mean, it's kind of what we do. Andy, I am
1: just realizing as I look over these notes that I forgot to write my question to you in them.
0: Dun, dun, dun!
1: So I'm going to ask this in just very, very straightforward terms. Um, th- you've all read the title. You know that I'm going to talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So, Andy, I want you to just off the dome as best as possible tell me what you know about the rock and roll hall of fame and if possible talk to me about any artists that you feel either are in the rock and roll hall of fame and shouldn't be or should be in the rock and roll hall of fame and are not if you know
0: You know, it's so great because um, this ensures that I had no time to (laughs) cheat and research anything. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is, like the name implies, the Hall of Fame. It is the building that is supposed to be like the mecca, the holy venue of all of the greatest rock and roll paraphernalia and commemoration of rock and roll artists that there ever was. It is supposed to be like the museum that somebody goes through and develops an understanding of all the greatest rock and roll acts and what rock is by the time they are done with that. As far as artists, um, I'm pretty sure Aerosmith is in it they are i feel very confident judas priest is in it uh actually
1: they have been nominated but they are not currently in
0: okay because i i was gonna say i only know that because i've watched the godsmack tribute to judas priest enough times that i thought that was for the rock and roll hall of fame no that was
1: for vh1 rock honors gotcha (laughs)
0: <laughs> and I'm sure we'll get into how there's a difference. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, easy. One is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the other one is a VH1 um, kind of commemorative show.
0: all right well well fair enough well with that i'll I'll lead into i it is my understanding that a lot of heavy metal bands are kind of maligned and left off the list in favor of Mm -hmm. stuff like beck and john denver not that there's anything wrong with beck and john denver but they're not necessarily what you think of when you could think of rock and roll um i'm sure we're going to talk about this at length you know gun to my head aside from aerosmith and guns and roses i don't know if i could name you any bands that are in the hall of fame without guessing like well, elvis
1: fair um for reference beck and john denver are not in the hall of oh, fame Oh,
0: horrible examples
1: <laughs> um you are correct that a lot of heavy metal bands tend to get overlooked elvis was in the first class of the hall of fame sure um that was ever inducted so yeah there um i feel like you referenced one more band and i can't remember who it well, was guns and
0: roses and again that's because i'm pretty sure i've seen like a famous commemorative concert for for GNR and it's the one Patton Oswalt makes fun of where Axl Rose clearly runs out of breath
1: Guns N' Roses is in the Hall of Fame and that was the Guns N' Roses comeback concert uh for Chinese democracy and Axl like bringing the band back together although he was the only original member uh who was there
0: listen I'll I'll take it (laughs) (laughs)
1: oh i love you dear boy um thank you for that i i thoroughly appreciate it um so yeah i i want to talk today about the rock and roll hall of fame and more or less i want to bitch about the rock and roll hall of fame yes because i have my reasons so touch of background Uh, Established by Ahmet Erdogan, who was the founder and chairman of Atlantic Records, uh, in 1986, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Foundation was designed to document the history of rock music and highlight the performers, producers, and influencers of the genre. Um, While they began inducting nominees in the 1980s, um, specifically the first class was 1986, the actual Hall of Fame itself didn't have a building for the museum until one was built in cleveland ohio in 1995. for those of you who are as big of 30 rock fans as i am this means that in the, um, like, I think it's season two or season one or two of 30 Rock, when Liz Lemon visits Cleveland uh, and talks about visiting the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, that building had, like, just barely been there for a decade.
0: I've got a deeper cut for you. So, like, was this um, was this building constructed just for the Drew Carey show? <laughs>
1: um which, i mean the drew carey show song, was after 95
0: which okay fair enough i'm misremembering that but like that was like that was like the thing I, I you know that was how i came to understand that the rock and roll hall of Th- fame was a thing because they would talk about it on the drew carey show the reruns cleveland of which rocks. i would see on daytime tv
1: sure cleveland rocks cleveland rocks indeed um, I wonder if that show holds up. Maybe I should revisit it. Um, I got a deeper pull for you. Um, In the Bowling for Soup song, Ohio, Uh um, there's a line where there's like, there's nothing wrong with But then you move to Cleveland with some guy named Leland who you met at the bank. There's nothing wrong with Ohio except the sun and the rain. I really like Drew Carey, and I'd love to see the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
0: Oh, Bowling for Soup. I love you.
1: I love Bowling for Soup. I love that Um, album. Yeah. Moving on. That's... Oh, God. (laughs) Future Love. Um, So, the criteria to be entered into the hall is basically to be a musical act that released their first record at least 25 years prior, and to be nominated by a committee, and then selected by ballots sent to over a thousand, quote-unquote, rock experts, Mm. Um, There are also categories for non-performers and early influencers. Both of those are selected by a different committee. Sidemen, who are selected by another committee, uh, which is made up specifically of mostly producers. And then for singles and lifetime achievement. Every year, the inductees are selected and they're honored at the ceremony and they are inducted typically by another artist. So... Sounds basic enough. Sounds nice enough, you know. I'll even admit that like that sounds really really nice on paper. Why do I hate this? Those of you who remember my rant about award shows will some of this will probably rhyme to you. Sure. But but the rock and roll hall, hall of fame, it, it it definitely has some folks involved who I'm sure have and have had very good intentions. And then there are a whole lot of people who are just happy to have a popularity contest and make a bunch of money off of it. So, a first example. Andy, why the fuck is that building in
0: Cleveland? Well, okay, so 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 I'm so sorry. Real quick. You talk about having good intentions and a popularity contest. And I would like to just take a moment here because I've opened up a helpful article showing me every inductee of the rock and roll hall of fame. Bless you. Jeff Beck is in it.
1: (laughs) Jeff Beck, not Beck.
0: (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. You said Beck, sir. It's not the first time I've confused the two of them.
1: Oh my God, Andrew.
0: Real, real quick. You want to talk about popularity and you want to talk of best of intentions and you want to talk about something that doesn't quite make sense. Alex, why is the Notorious B.I.G. in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I'm not going to argue so with you. So is Tupac. You. I'm not going to argue with you for a second that um, the man deserves to be in, like, a Music Hall of Fame, but where is the connection for Rock and Roll? You have stumbled
1: into an argument that people have been having for a long time. Um, people said the same thing about Tupac being in the Hall of Fame. Um, there have been a number of hip hop acts in the Hall of Fame. There is a legitimate argument to be had whether or not, n- number one, whether or not hip hop deserves to f- or should fall in kind of that milieu. Mm-hmm. Especially because the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, like its very first class included James Brown and Sam Cooke. Who are R&B and soul musicians and funk musicians. Um, the question kind of becomes, where are your dividing lines? Miles Davis is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But he was a jazz performer.
0: I was about. To, it's yeah. I was about to say Nina Simone is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I yeah, like fuck. I love Sinner Man, but
1: and that's the thing. That's there at the, at a certain point you start splitting questionable hairs about genre. Mm. Um, something that was very interesting. Uh, I remember, re I remember listening to an interview with um, Rude Jude who was a SiriusXM host who had a show that was kind of shitty, actually, but he talked about hip-hop a lot. Uh, And he was talking about kind of this question about, like, who in hip-hop should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And he was sitting here like, it makes sense for Tupac to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because Tupac transcends just hip-hop. Tupac is is a cultural entity. And he he and he and made an argument. He's like, I wouldn't be mad if Frank Sinatra were in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Because Frank Sinatra is woven into music culture. Mm. Frank Sinatra, a man who famously said he hated rock and roll. And he's sitting here going like, I wouldn't be mad if Frank Sinatra was in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But, and in the same breath, Rude Jude was sitting here like, I don't think Kendrick should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm. I think Tupac should. But I don't think Kendrick is woven in that deeply. Um, but this has been a long standing question and a long standing argument. You know, Eric B. and Rock Kim have been uh, nominated for the Hall of Fame multiple times. I think Jay Z is supposed to be inducted this year. Um, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five are in the Hall of Fame. So it becomes the question of genre. You know, there's people who say that heavy metal isn't rock, it's not rock music. And heavy metal is highly maligned by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
0: Yeah. I suppose I sit here and think about how, like, if there's a rap or an R&B Hall of Fame, if there's a jazz hall of fame, these buildings are, are, while they exist, they do not have the same impact. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and and don't get me wrong. Nobody I've talked about, I don't think deserves to be recognized. So thank you for answering that. And I will let this go, but you had a question for me about location.
1: Yeah. No. Why is that fucking building in Cleveland, Andy? Before, tell me something before you even look at my notes. What do you know about Cleveland and rock and rock and roll?
0: I I know nothing. I know no connection. I know Drew Carey wants to make it really clear that Cleveland rocks. Um, You know, I always just assumed, oh, there must be some like. The first greatest recording studio in America for rock must be in Cleveland. It must be. No, it's
1: in Memphis, Tennessee.
0: Huh?
1: It's in Memphis, Tennessee. It's Sun Records in Memphis, Tennessee, Andy. Memphis, Tennessee lost a bid for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. (laughs) Do you know what? Okay. So this, this, I I researched this for this episode. Uh So Cleveland won the bid for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. First of all, they offered $65 million in public money to spend on the construction. They used Cleveland taxpayer dollars, $65 million of it to go towards the construction of the building. I think that's the first part of the bid. Sure. The second part, the way that they justified it because, you know, you had bids from New York, you had bids from Detroit, home of Motown, you know. You had bids from Memphis, home of Sun Records, where Elvis, you know, Elvis and Johnny Cash and Jerry Lee Lewis, you know, started, you know, white boy rock and roll, sure. turned boogie-woogie into rock and roll.
0: Yeah.
1: Um Cleveland's bid was um, talking about Alan Freed, who uh, was from Cleveland and uh, recorded in Cleveland. He was the radio DJ who first popularized the term rock and roll. He popularized it because he would go out to black clubs, hear the music, and ask them what it was. And it, you know, he'd hear people say, that's that rockin' and rollin' music. Because that rock and roll was, you know, at the time, black slang for sex. Um huh. Yeah. The term rock and roll was black slang for sex. And Alan Freed picked that up. And so when he started playing these albums and he started playing these songs, um, he called it rock and roll music. Not really explaining to people what it meant, but he liked the term.
0: Sure, 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 sure. I wouldn't. So so I get the sense this isn't part of it. But I wouldn't have been shocked if the reasoning had been, we need a reason for people to visit Cleveland. I'm
1: sure that's why Cleveland put up the money and and put the effort in for that.
0: Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, we need people to come here for something more than an Indians game and some chili with spaghetti on it. So we need the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
1: I think you hit it my friend. Mm. And I think and again it's like if 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 the foundation had been serious about setting that museum up somewhere that was important to the history of this music. You can make an argument for New York. You can make an argument for Detroit. You can make an argument for Memphis. Um I mean fuck, you could make an argument for Macon, Georgia. Birthplace of Little Richard, the arguable inventor of the genre. Sure. The argument for Cleveland, like, I love Alan Freed. And if those of you who don't know the story of Alan Freed, it is tragic. Because Alan Freed, his career was destroyed because he played black artists. They put him under a payola scandal that was complete bullshit, but it was just because he championed black music. Alan Freed is a hero of the genre in a lot of ways. But Alan Freed deserves credit for that. Cleveland does not deserve credit for Alan Freed.
0: Sure, 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 sure.
1: But they put up $65 million.
0: And you know what? Money talks, man.
1: Yeah. Um, my second My second issue, uh, and I've touched on this a little bit, and I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on this. Um is the long-standing and omnipresent issue with the Hall of Fame acknowledging certain subgenres and certain artists. Heavy music is a great example. Yeah. Because despite being entirely eligible, bands like Judas Priest, Motorhead, and Thin Lizzy have been nominated but never inducted. Pantera, Tool, and Ozzy Osbourne's solo career He's in with Black Sabbath, because that's undeniable. Mm. But Ozzy Osbourne's solo career, which, you know, is incredibly influential and important, they've never even been nominated. And I'm the first one to admit, this is moving away from heavy music, but I I, I admit, I love Tom Waits more than most dead relatives (laughs) of mine. And the only reason why he was inducted before Weird Al Yankovic, who is inarguably more culturally important is because of some respectability bullshit.
0: Sure. I'll, I'll go, uh, I'll make the same point a little bit in a different way. You know, I, I started at the bottom and I'm scrolling up and Depeche Mode is in the 2020 class of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I listen to Policy of Truth probably once a week. Okay. But there is no way in hell Depeche Mode deserves to be in this group over Judas Priest. Over Motorhead. I think you could make an argument for Thin Lizzy, but you'd probably lose it certainly yeah. uh pantera tool and ozzy a, a, a second time um you know you go through here and the thing is like oh you eventually you see a band that was f- uh, popular 40 years ago and and then nobody knows about like um i personally don't know who bill withers is I don't know. You don't know who Bill Withers is? (laughs) I was so afraid. I was going to. Ain't no
1: sunshine when she's gone. Fuck you, Andrew. She's always gone too long.
0: Anytime she goes away. Okay, fair enough. Oh, God. Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, tell you. Tell you what. I don't know who the small faces are.
1: I, I've... Okay. Uh, that's fair. I like the faces, but I, I understand that. I've never you probably, like like it's Ronnie Wood and uh, Rod Stewart's original band.
0: Fair enough. Uh, so, so just like at the risk of inciting your ire, one last time, I don't know who Darlene Love is. And if <sighs> I, and and Alex, let's be real. I am much closer to the common man's musical knowledge base than you are. <laughs> All that to say, I absolutely think that, like, if if we're going to agree that the hall, of, the rock and roll Hall of Fame, is actually the the music Hall of Fame, which is kind of what it's sounding like it's become. Um, Although suspiciously, I'm not seeing very many country acts. And I know for a fact there is a country music hall of fame. Um, There is. If we're going to add rap groups, R and B groups, and, and people who like are very arguably rock and roll, then absolutely there should be equal room and respect for heavy metal, which as a genre is 50 years old. Sure? I don't remember what under what circumstances, but you were telling me on this very show that like like heavy metal is taught in colleges now. You can take a class on heavy metal music theory.
1: You absolutely can. 100%. It. Yep. You 100% can.
0: So, that's my thought on that. I'm sorry I don't know who Bill Withers is. I'll look him up.
1: <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. Um but yeah, I no, I'm with you. And there you know, there are folk artists in here like it's not that anybody's not important. Right. You know, Cat Stevens is incredibly important. Bob Dylan is incredibly important. Um Joan you know, Bias, there's punk. Yeah. Yeah, there's punk acts in here, which is hilarious because that's that's a little offensive in a lot of ways is for punks because it, it, this is exactly the kind of thing most punks would absolutely decry. Yeah, that one breaks um, my
0: brain in half.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, Green Day's in here. I'm not too surprised by that. Fallout Boy fucking inducted them. Um, <laughs> the Clash are in here, and I'm pretty sure they got inducted after Joe Strummer was already dead, so yeah. what are you going to do? The Sex Pistols are in here, which is unforgivable, um, and I don't... <laughs> To their credit, they did not attend. They did not show up to their own induction.
0: I am an I am an
1: They were inducted arguably against their will. Right. Um, but, and, and yeah, so it's, it's, it's. It troubles me in a lot of ways, some of the acts here. One thing that really bothered me was, um, I think it was la- it was either last year or the year before, The Cure were inducted.
0: Yeah, I think that was 19. And,
1: yeah, and Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails um, did the induction. And Trent Reznor, like, I don't watch the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions, but I read Trent Reznor's speech because, fuck yeah, I want to hear Trent Reznor talk about The Cure. Eh. Um and he gave a beautiful speech, which at the very beginning of it, he was straight up just like, I don't do these kinds of things. I never do these kinds of things. I don't believe in these kinds of things, these institutions. But the cure is too important, basically. Um, and, he, and he gave this beautiful, moving, personal speech about what the cure meant to him as a lonely child growing up, um, And what they meant to him as an adult struggling with addiction and loneliness and the darkness of existence. Mm. And it was gorgeous. And then this year, Nine Inch Nails are getting inducted.
0: Yeah.
1: And I'm not going to lie, if Trent Reznor shows up, I'm going to be a little disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I love Trent Reznor so much, and I'm going to be a little disappointed if he shows up to this. I'm still not going to watch the ceremony, but it's... It is the ultimate expression of this weird institutionalization of rock music, of of a music that is at its core, like, it always pitched itself as being about abandon and about expression and about rawness and about taking the blues and making it something you can dance to, like... I don't always believe in the whole rock is about rebellion, man, bullshit, because that's bullshit. That's hasn't been true for a very long time. But this degree of institutionalization of it just fucking bothers me, especially when it is so uneven. Again, why is Tom Waits more relevant than Weird Al Yankovic other than the fact that you don't want the parody song guy up there? Next to the guy who I love dearly, but is not nearly as culturally important.
0: Yeah, it's it very much seems to be kind of arbitrary. You know the the last point I want to talk about. You you mentioned there's a twenty five year um, waiting gap, and so I take that to mean like. It's got to be 25 years since your first record. First record. Got it. Okay. The, the, because I'm me. And of course this is the case. The hall of fame I am most familiar with is the national hockey league hall of fame and the induction process there is it is, there is a three year waiting period after your retirement as a player and i'm comparing these two different metrics in terms of like cultural legacy because it's interesting to me that the, this hall of fame leaves room for somebody to build upon it which is just an interesting concept in the idea of like what would they do or or look at looking at this a different way this leaves room for a group to totally like crash and burn or, or do some piece of like soulless, awful musical scum. And then you have to get into a conversation about their, the, you know, the legacy and, and are we inducting them on the work they've done or, or what? but just, just just thought it was interesting
1: i mean i think nirvana were inducted their first year of eligibility first or second year
0: yeah
1: uh, i'm pretty sure and the thing is that that makes perfect sense that said nirvana had five albums three of which anyone gave a shit about and one of those three albums was their mtv unplugged mm-hmm. which was essentially a live album like it's it's if we're t- and they were really only around if you think about it like put put bleach out of your mind um, because nobody bought it until after Nevermind dropped. I think it's ninety three to ninety six or ninety seven. Like they had a three or four year run. But in that three or four, I mean, Jimi Hendrix was only active for three years before he before he died.
0: Yeah,
1: there are people who can make a big impact in a small amount of time. But it also is fucking unacceptable that there are people who made an impact for decades, and they're not here. Iron Maiden is only just now getting inducted. They have been eligible for over a decade, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this year, they're getting in. So, it's... (laughs) And, and, it, and it's weird for me to talk about it like this because in, in a lot of ways, I'm sitting here just being like, okay, well, I'm pissed off that X is not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but I'm also pissed off that the Hall of Fame is what it is. It's just... The honorifics feel meaningless. Right. I want to close on this notion. I, I don't want to be the kind of person who sits here like I'm not, I'm not sitting here complaining about corporatized music. It's a lame complaint. It's bullshit. A lot of good music is corporate. I have talked about good corporate music. Like it's, it's, it's not about that. I, I, and, and you know what? I I will give credit for things like I really appreciate that the rock and roll hall of fame, like uh, a little over a decade ago, uh, or maybe it was like 2002. Um, they put together a sideman category. Like they have a category in the Hall of Fame dedicated to people I try to champion in these discussions. Studio musicians, producers, people who jump around between bands, people who are important and never get the credit that they deserve because they're not the front and center no. artist. You know, Eric Clapton is inducted in this shit three times because of the Yardbirds cream and his solo career. And and it will not surprise me if he gets another nomination for Derek and the Dominoes at some point, like, or Eric Mayall's Blues Breakers. He's been in a bunch of things. Um, You know, Jeff Beck is in here twice for the Yardbirds and for his solo career. I I would not be surprised by shit like that. Um, and, And the fact that they're giving a category to something like that where people aren't highlighted, that's a good thing. I think there is value to something like a museum for this type of music. Um, There's a value there. It's it's worth preserving. It's worth talking about. But making it an honorific that's sold pretty exclusively for tourist reasons, to, to get people to buy plane tickets to fucking Cleveland, and, you know, whitewashing, The deeply complicated history of this music, you know, there's a whole early influencers category. And, you know, to their credit, they have a number of people who are, you know, important there. They have people like Lead Belly. They have Woody Guthrie, Robert Johnson, you know, people I've talked about on this show. But like (laughs) at the same time, it's Elvis was in the first class and that just further's that idiot narrative that Elvis fucking invented rock and roll when Elvis himself would tell you it was probably Fats Domino which i don't even agree with but at least it's a better answer than <laughs> goddamn Elvis like i it's 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 there for money it's there for money more than it is there for preserving a real and true and verifiable history of music that I really fucking love. And I have no patience for that. If I ever go to Cleveland, will I visit the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? You know what? Maybe. If I can get a free ticket and walk in with a flask, almost certainly. But, like... I'm going to complain the entire time and I'm going to like sit there and whoever I'm with, I'm going to subject them to my corrections of everything as I walk through and go, "Eh, you know what? Woody Guthrie didn't really say that. Or, you know what? I'm pretty sure that um, their characterization there of like the early years of acdc versus the later years with brian johnson i don't think that's really fair given what brian was kind of trying to live up to there (laughs) like i'm gonna be a dick
0: so it sounds like you you're the perfect man and and the types of people like you are the perfect uh, tour guides
1: (laughs) i'm angry oh god (laughs) Andy, shall we move on to our uh, question?
0: Yeah, yeah, let's go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm my, sorry, my did you have final a final thought? thought was like, I want to walk through this building and see the guitar Chuck Berry played when he made Johnny Be Good. I want to walk through this and see. Jim Morrison's book of poetry that became like the lyrics to the end. And I want to walk out of this and I feel like to have a full appreciation, I should be given a playlist with one song of every artist, but they're not going to do that. That playlist is impossible to curate. That playlist is is going to get longer and longer every year. And how can you boil down these artists mm-hmm. into one song? So just all that to say, I, I, I see your point, and I agree with you, man. So with that, I know we're running a little long. Let's go ahead and dive into the question.
1: Uh, all good. Okay. Um, you gave the intro Sounds up front, good. so how about I read this one? Okay. Uh, title on this one. This is a relationships.txt one. My boyfriend of over two years won't divorce his wife and only lives at home half a week. And before any of y'all say anything, it actually is not the situation I think you think it is. Uh, It might be worse. I've been with my boyfriend for over two years, but he won't divorce his wife because he promised they would stay separated but married until their daughter, a 14-year-old girl, turned 18. The ex knows about me, but most of his family doesn't know me, including his mom. He said he talked to ex about it, and she doesn't want a divorce because of their daughter, and so he wants to fulfill his promise. I feel very shitty about it, and it's starting to affect me after a while. We live together, but he's away four nights a week at his mom's apartment. The other three nights, his mom has a stay-in lady with her. She's 80 and had a heart attack about six months ago. I understand he doesn't want her alone, but if he told her about us, maybe she could come live with us, or at least close to us so he spends more nights at home. I think he's ashamed to tell his family because we have an age gap. He's older. I just feel second to everyone in his life and feel like things won't change. I want to marry him and have a child. He says he wants those things, but he won't change the previous two facts I mentioned. Are my feelings valid? Am I crazy? So what's our name here for this writer? Yeah, because it's like,
0: it's easy to come up with mama's boys in pop culture, although that's only maybe arguably fair. I'm trying to think of a woman who, or, or a person at least, who was like lied to, or not lied to, but let along Um yeah.
1: You ever read, you ever read Jane Eyre? No, I actually haven't. This, uh, this doesn't have a lot in common with Jane Eyre, but it is a woman who is lied to by an older man who she's in love with, and, um, spoilers for Jane Eyre, a book that is, uh, closing in on two centuries old, but at the end, she ends up with the guy, however he's blind and crippled. Uh, by a horrible, horrible accident, and she's all too happy to take care of him, and it's problematic
0: as fuck. Well, this is Um, also problematic for a couple different ways, so I'm totally comfortable with Jane Eyre. Do you know, Jane Eyre, where the wicked go after death? They go to hell. And what is hell?
1: Okay, I think this... Is this our first literary... Reference? It's up
0: there. It's easily if not the first, it's the second or third.
1: Okay, cool. So we've got Jane Eyre. Um for reference to you, dear boy, that makes uh the boyfriend Mr. Rochester. Uh and the ex is uh the woman oh, in the God. attic. Okay. Um basically Stephanie and Katie and a handful of lit nerds just like <laughs> pump their fist in the air. Um <laughs> okay so jane
0: jane Jane here there's yeah because there's (sighs) you want to start this one there's two different things going on here and either one of them would be a, a, a bit of a red flag i think for poor jane um the boyfriend who is still legally married and won't divorce his wife for the kid
1: Mr. Rochester
0: it it it's like you were saying it's not as bad it's not what you think the woman in the attic clearly knows Mr. Rochester and Jane are having a relationship and that's a thing saying I want to stay together with for my kid I mean that's certainly noble well stupid it can be it can be both um i kind of sit here and go okay so what does what does mr rochester's daughter what is his relationship with jane she's gotta know and then you throw in the he's away four nights a week at his mom's apartment which before anything so does he ever stay with his ex like
1: I think I think we need to take as red that he doesn't. I think that this is too separate. Well, but so in,
0: in answering that, that are it be it it immediately um, invalidates the point about oh I want to stay together for my kid, but I don't live in that house, and my kid doesn't see me. My kid does like I don't sleep in the same house as my kid. And you know what? I, I don't want to say that that doesn't automatically invalidate him for being a good father or anything, but like there are plenty of good fathers who are divorced and have their kid on the weekends or, or, or whatever you do. Mm-hmm. The four nights a week taking care of my aged and, and ill mother. I mean, again, noble, but Jane even brings up the point of like if we were in if we were in a relationship this woman knew about maybe it would be easier to help take care of her maybe I could be a support system for him you know I'm going to boil this down I I don't even necessarily get the vibe that this guy is malicious or leading along but it doesn't seem like there's any room here for this relationship you know i said it on the last episode you've been dating two years you can break up after two years you can break up at any point but you can break up like easily after two years you want to marry him and have a child okay i almost guarantee you there is a better man out there who is like able to respect your time and your validity as his girlfriend more than Mr. Rochester
1: I am I am definitely here for that Um, here's the thing I would say to you Jane Um, the sunken cost fallacy is real That is some big shit right there. Um, The idea that you have spent this much time with person, and if you leave, then it's a giant problem. You live with him, sort of. Um, The fact of the matter is, you and your relationship with him are not his priority. In some ways that could be valid Just as the situation as as the cards are dealt Um, Anyone who has ever dated a person who had a kid Can probably attest to this Um, it is hard for say like a single parent or uh, Even a divorced parent who is heavily involved in their child's life to date because unless the person you're dating is either is or is very near to be um your partner like and I mean proper partner uh if not spouse partner life partner then the responsible thing is for the kid to come yeah. first and that's n- and that's not the fault of any anything Uh, that's not the fault of anybody. It's not the kid's fault. It's not the parent's fault either. Like that's just what a good parent is going to do. And that's why it's such a hard situation out there for single parents or for, um, parents of, you know, divorced situations, um, or parents in divorce situations. That's why it can be really hard for them to date because to be a good parent, they have to prioritize their kid. And if they're going to prioritize their kid, they are by nature probably not going to prioritize dating. Um, So I don't need to assume anything malicious about Mr. Rochester. There might be something malicious there. There might be something shitty there. But I don't need to. He can have perfectly good intentions. He could be as noble as Andy says right here. And that doesn't necessarily mean that he's right for you. Or that the two of you will work in this situation. If he's got a sick mother and a bad situation with his kid that will take at least twice as long as you've already been with him to resolve, as in his kid turns 18, dude, like... It's not going to be anybody's. Your yes. feelings are valid. You are not crazy. That's what you end your your answer here with. Your feelings are valid. Being like, this is problematic. You are not crazy. But the thing you need to be is mature enough to say, this is a situation where it is nobody's fault. And this relationship will not work the way that I need it to. Because you are essentially staring down the barrel of this situation, continuing to remain unchanged for a minimum of four more years. You're with him. You've been with him for two, for four additional years, at least. And then what? At that point, he can get a divorce and the two of you can get married and have a kid. He's going to have one kid when he's already got another 18-year-old? Maybe. People do it. It certainly happens. Um, He's saying that he wants that too. If you choose to believe... Again, he can be completely honest with with you. And that doesn't necessarily make this a good situation. You can cut your losses and leave. And that's honestly probably the best thing to do because he's not in a place in his life with his ex with this with the woman in the attic and with his mother he's not in a place where he can be the partner to you that you need and that's okay it's not your fault that's not his fault but it is your responsibility to move the hell on yeah Andy, anything to add?
0: No, I think that's right, and I, I think you provided a little kindness to Mr. Rochester. I mean, I just,
1: I'm suspicious <laughs> as hell. The point is that it doesn't matter if you and I are right to be suspicious. It's still a bad situation. He he can be a he could be Jim fucking Henson. <sighs> she should still yeah, leave. I
0: agree with that because at the end of the day, it's like you're you're almost saying that you're okay with being in a relationship for six years before it could publicly start. And there's... Uh, there, there, even if he's a great guy, there's no guarantee that in four years his daughter graduates and tragically his mother passes away and he has a complete, like, change of personality because of these two factors. And fairly or not ends the relationship that you just spent six years living in a semi-ashamed secrecy in. so no i think it's a double recommendation jane you are valid you are not crazy but you should leave and we wish jane ear the best if you have a relationship question or if you uh you know you're scrolling around and you see something that is like oh Oh, that, that makes me, that hurts me because that's how this one came to be is, is one of us sent it to the other. And we were like, Oh my God, <laughs> this hurts my heart. Look at this. We have to talk about this. Uh, you can send those yeah. in to love, hate relationship podcast at gmail.com where we promise we'll read them.
1: That's right. You can subscribe to us on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or even tune in radio. Hey mom. Um, I know I talked about you earlier. Um, I assume you know about the Muppets, but more than anything, I appreciate you always listening to our show. It's it's nice that there's always that nice little tick right there. Um, (laughs) um, You can follow us on Twitter at LHRPod. That's LHRPod. And you can check out what we have to say. You can follow us for new episodes. You can submit your questions there whatever chat with us we're we're always available we don't have lives right andy
0: (laughs) we're always available to chat we will we will move our lives around to do that (laughs) oh god in those lives if you want to talk to us on other avenues you can find me andy bowell on twitter at jovocop 2113 you can also find uh my other podcast cult fiction where i watch cult movies with the incomparable stephanie johnson i don't think any of the muppet movies could be considered cult although maybe you could make an argument for muppets in space i don't know um, but you can find that all of the same mm. spots that Alex said you can find this podcast.
1: Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok at A underscore X underscore R-U-I-Z. Thanks for listening, y'all. This one's a long one, Andy. Um, but yeah. <laughs> After uh, editing,
0: it'll be normal.
1: <laughs> we appreciate it. Yeah, I'm here. Uh, Tell your enemies, y'all. Take
0: care.